And I think it's probably at this point it's like motor memory. Yeah. Right? That's, that's great that he's wow. still like so active. Yeah. I think that's one of the things that keeps people going for so long is if you're, you know, constantly using your body and your right. mind. That's right. You feel yeah. like you're making a contribution to this world, right? So Absolutely. you keep on going. Now, uh, a lot of times when we think of senior citizens, of course, we think of longevity. That's one of our words here, longevity. Um, so uh, I'm not going to ask you about that. I'm going to ask you about another definition of the number nine, the original definition which led to the founding of the holiday, the Double Nine Festival. This is a I, tough one. <laughs> I, I just think of a long time. Uh-huh. So, but that's not it, right? A lot? Abundance? Abundance? Jojo. Jojo means a long time, right? What's this all about? Why are they doing that? What's going on here? It's Curious John. What is he curious about today? Friday was World Animal Day, a day dedicated to promoting animal welfare across the world. Taiwan is one part of the world where animal welfare has improved markedly in recent decades. And not just for cats and dogs or the endangered species people often think of first. Even Taiwan's smallest animals are the focus of growing concern. One group at the forefront of protecting smaller creatures here is the Taiwan Stray Bunny Protection Association, a group that has spent the past 10 years rescuing abandoned rabbits and putting them into good homes. Last week, I had the chance to attend one of the group's monthly adoption drives. These drives take place at the group's headquarters in a warehouse-like building on the outskirts of Taipei. The space looks like it was designed to serve as a factory floor, but instead of assembly lines and machinery, the place is filled up with dozens of rabbits. With so many rabbits to look after, this is the kind of space the organization needs. Each rabbit has its own sizable patch of turf, covered in soft quilts and blankets, and fenced off from neighbors. Each has a wooden hut to hide in, enough space to run around in, and just the right amount of food and water. The rabbits come in all breeds, sizes, and ages, and among their ranks are many with special needs. Xie Baozu is in charge of the adoption drive today. She's been rescuing rabbits for 10 years now, and she now heads the organization's rescue division. She takes a few minutes to step away from the event to tell us about the organization's work. In the early days, she says, the association was just a loose group of rabbit lovers that got to know one another online. They joined forces, opening up their homes to foster rabbits. They got them veterinary care and then found permanent homes for them later on. Over time, the number of cases they took on grew, and to help handle the volume of cases, they started accepting donations. But from a legal perspective, this was frowned on, and so 10 years ago, they registered as a formal group. Aside from two paid staff members who look after the rabbit's daily needs, the whole organization runs on donations and volunteers. Their network of foster homes stretches across Taiwan, and they have a small army of volunteers who take care of accounting matters and go out to collect donations. 
These volunteers also compile information on foster homes, organize educational events, take rabbits to vet appointments, buy supplies, run adoption drives like this one, keep the rabbits' homes clean, and of course, distribute food, water, and love. There's a lot to keep on top of. Today alone, there are more than 90 rabbits looking for new homes. But the group is actually responsible for the welfare of many more. As we've heard, across the island, there's a network of temporary foster homes, rabbits living off-site, but whose needs the group still pays for. With these rabbits counted in too, the number of rabbits in the group's care reaches more than 200. Until around 10 years ago, Ms. Xie says, there weren't that many rabbit owners, especially when compared to owners of other pets. But that has changed. For one thing, she says, there's a growing trend towards raising pets instead of children. And attitudes towards pets have changed too, with a strong rise in consciousness about animal welfare. But even as the number of pet rabbits grows, old myths about rabbits and their care have proven stubborn. <laughs> there are some that you might recognize. For instance, the myth that they eat only carrots, a dangerous and false idea that cartoons have done nothing to help dispel. Then there are some bizarre misconceptions that seem limited to Taiwan, the idea that they don't need to drink water, for instance. The organization holds classes in schools and other places when called upon to do so, hoping that these sessions will bust some of these harmful myths. The groups they're asked to teach come in all ages, from kindergartners to adults. Ms. Xie says, above all else, the hope is that these classes will instill two ideas in people. Firstly, the idea that a pet is a lifelong commitment. And secondly, that people should always adopt and never buy. There are plenty of unscrupulous breeders out there who keep rabbits in miserable conditions. And Ms. Xie says there's also the fact that pet shop owners often misrepresent how much work it is to raise rabbits, something that leads to more cases of abandonment. <laughs> the group's 10 years of volunteer work have made a small dent in the problems that Taiwan's rabbits face. For these 200-plus rabbits anyway, food, water, and medical expenses are no problem, thanks to steadily growing donations. With growing donations, the group is also able to cover the considerable cost of renting such a big space. The growth in funding shows that people care more and more. But Monsieur says there's still a lot of work left to do. The group's efforts haven't stopped the problem of abandoned rabbits. The organization has a tip-off line that's always busy. The group gets calls from all over Taiwan, many about rabbits found in parks and on hiking trails. Despite 10 years of urging responsibility, not much has changed. In fact, there are set patterns, two times of year when the volume of calls explodes. At the center of this cycle is the school year. At first, Ms. Xie says, kids are often excited about the idea of having a pet, and they pester their parents to get one. But often, after a while, they grow bored of caring for them, especially after long days spent at home together during summer and winter breaks. So every year, as these breaks come to an end and kids gear up for full busy days at school, parents who were pestered into getting pets in the first place often decide that the time has come to let them go. At rabbit shelters like this one, the ends of summer and winter break are the busiest times of year.
Ms. Xie also says she's especially worried about the situation a few years down the road when it becomes the year of the rabbit. Many rabbits will likely be taken in on an impulse only to be abandoned later. Above all, Ms. Xie says she hopes that parents looking to get a rabbit will do their homework and come in to talk it over with groups like hers first. Once the responsibilities are spelled out for them, some parents who do come in decide not to get a rabbit. And that is a good thing for everyone. As we've already heard, temporary foster care is a big part of the group's system, allowing them to care for many more rabbits than could fit in this space. But the group is very choosy about who can foster its rabbits. Evaluations look at how other family members feel, at the amount of space applicants have to spare, and at their income. They also look at work schedules. The group pays for foster rabbits' needs, including medical ones. But in case of an emergency, the foster caregiver has to be available to get the rabbit to immediate treatment. Once accepted, there are certain obligations. Foster carers must upload at least one Facebook video per month to advertise for potential permanent owners. They also have to be free on weekends to bring in their rabbits to adoption drives like this one. How long does it take for most rabbits to get homes? That is a matter of fate, Ms. Xie says. Even rabbits that are a challenge to care for sometimes find homes out of the blue. This was the case with one old rabbit that came to have trouble moving. Volunteers thought the rabbit would end up spending its final days at the shelter. But one day, someone who'd recently lost a rabbit came in and took it home. A big commitment because once adopted, the rabbit's expenses become the owner's responsibility. There are some rabbits that may never find homes. For instance, the shelter now houses a litter of rabbits that suffer severe genetic diseases due to inbreeding. But Ms. Xie says adoptions are unpredictable, and if someone with the right love and experience comes along, fate may one day send them to a good home too. I'm Curious John, and I'll see you again next week. The Sound of the Puyuma Tribe on Radio Taiwan International. Stroke of Light, a portrait of Taiwan through the eyes of painters, sculptors, filmmakers, and photographers. To Stroke of Light, I'm Jake Chen. In the last several weeks, we have been having a conversation with Mr. Robert Zhang, 
a photographer from Singapore who has been on a mission to photograph and research about a phenomenon where species brought along by human activities and migration occupy and overtake the living habitat of local indigenous species. So this week, we'll continue our conversation with Mr. Zhang and find out about the details behind his project. It seems to me it's a very scary scenario. It's kind of a nightmare for ecologists or for people who want to kind of protect the native species that uh, a hybrid of this is a, a very scary thing when a long time ago they were from the same uh, family almost. Okay. Yeah. What are some of the worst possible outcomes of the long-term hybridization between different species? Uh, I think then you will lose the priority. The, the, <coughs> that, that native bird maybe, uh, I, I think you, you might lose it. I think. Actually, I don't know. I'm not a scientist. Um, have they talked about it? The scientists that you uh, interviewed before, have they talked about the possible outcomes, say, 50, 100 years from now, if they don't stop this? Uh, I didn't ask, because oh. they were just very sure that this is something that must be stopped oh. immediately, no questions asked. Um, I think they were very swift, so they contained and killed off all the offspring. Uh, when I went, uh, it was uh, in the one of the uh, museums. The skins were in order in the museums. Uh, it was, uh, but yeah. So that that was kind of uh, for me uh, a fear of uh, the unknown, mm. or the fear of what happens when we move animals around, and you can't bring them into. Uh, a new space and they are able to thrive right uh, what does it really mean uh, is it unnatural or is it natural but because to me it seems right now we think it's an unnatural thing that's why we need to control okay yeah it, it does sound again I, neither one of us can can be uh, can pretend to be experts but it does sound to me like uh, they don't have an adequate amount of scientific uh, proof or foresight to to conduct their action they're basically stopping this for the sake of stopping this. Uh, no, no, they do. I think they do. They, okay. they, they, they have <coughs> a scientific basis where, based on um, the past of what happened, that native species will suffer, and they're already uh, seeing it that the native frogs, which looks exactly like the alien frogs, mm. uh, when they're catching, when they're eradicating it. You, you can't really find a native species anymore. Okay. So it was a very visual evidence that we need to do this because okay. we can't see any more of the native ones anymore. Uh, 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 but it's really a, also a very futile effort because they, they can never really remove the frog. They can just kind of control the number so that it doesn't explode. Okay. So it was like every frog is removed by hand and caught by hand. And so it's every lizard. Yeah, that requires a, a large amount of human labor to, to Yeah. Yeah, it's a lot of undertaking. Yeah, and uh, so I was talking to this um, reporter who is from the, uh, I think they are animal protectionist group. Okay. <coughs> so they were saying that uh, uh, science has a certain authority to convey this uh, this eradication as something that needs to be done. 
but on their side, what they think is that because they are also animal lives, they are also animals, living things, uh, the eradication of them is simply the killing of them. Right. So uh, how do we weigh in on this uh, as a correct kind of killing? Uh, who justifies the killing? And is it, should we be killing them? Or should we be looking at them as lives? Uh, but of course, uh, yeah, so that's, that's what they were asking me previously. And I guess you don't really have a clear answer for these. You're just asking questions by showing these photographs? Yeah, um, at, at, because what I'm interested in is that so much effort. We'll continue our conversation with Mr. John next week, so please stay tuned. I'm Jake Chen. Talk to you then. together already. It's time to feast! Sit down at the table with Andrew Ryan and Ellen Chu on Feast Meets West. Hello, welcome to the feast and this is Ellen Chu. And this is Andrew Ryan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Happy Pink Day, Ellen Chu. Happy, happy Pink Pink. <laughs> this is our annual Pink Show every year on the first Saturday in October. Mm-hmm. It's our way of marking International Breast Cancer Awareness Month. Mm-hmm. And Ellen Chu last year, she promised that she was going to buy a piece of pink furniture. Of course. If I said I will do it, I would take up the challenge <laughs> and I would do it. I have to say, I'm impressed that you remembered. I remember. You're such a memorable because, person. <laughs> because every month, I think you remind me. No, at the I end just... of the show. <laughs> a countdown, right? Not every month. I did, okay. it, I did it halfway through the year. Yeah. And then I, I gave you a reminder one month ago. Right. Because I put it on my calendar. I was afraid you'd forget. Right. So, you know... Even even though if I forgot, you know, with a whole month time, I mm-hmm. guess, you know. You still have a possibility. I still have a possibility. Yeah. But I would have to say finding a piece of furniture, you know, and it has to be pink. Mm-hmm. And it has to fit in your, you know, environment mm-hmm. where you live, the living room. Mm. It was quite hard. Yeah? Uh-huh. So what did you buy? Tell us what you bought. It's kind of like a bean bag, mm-hmm. but it's not bean in there. It's, it's you just put air in there. It's an oh, air bag. It's an air bag, right? And so is it collapsible? It, yeah, you could take out the air and then you could fold it up. You can stow it. I could stow it away, so it doesn't have to take up that spot all oh, the time. Oh my goodness, Ellen Chu! But it's there right now, you know, because my kids love it. Mm, that does look comfortable. Right. Is it is it comfortable for adults as well? Yes, it is. Oh, wow. Yeah, plopping inside. I, I think you'll love it. 
So maybe I'll get the exact same one. Are they still selling them? They are. They the have hardware different store. color, but you need to get hot pink. Hot pink. Hot pink like I did. So the funny thing is, is I'm not sure the hot pink fits in my apartment. I don't care. It's just <laughs> a pink furniture. It's like every October, you need to take it out and plop it in your living room. All right. I think okay. I'm good for that. All right. I will do that. Mm-hmm. I will do that just for you and in honor okay. of all the people who have um, come down with breast cancer. Right. So and a reminder. this year... Mm. Estee Lauder Taiwan, you know, is putting up the program every year. They are the leader in leading people in reminding people to really fight breast cancer in this month of October. So this year they have put up a visual pink ribbon of 15 uh, ribbons all together. Mm-hmm. It represents every 15 seconds there is someone diagnosed with breast cancer. And where is this? This is in, uh, they put it up in Taiwan? or They, they put, put it, up, it in... up, I think, in the website. On the website? Yeah. Okay. Because they have a, a main vigil thing. Oh, I see, I right. see. So the event that they do, they used to be light, uh, lighting up like different big pink ribbon uh-huh. on like iconic locations like 101 and, you know, the Eiffel Tower. Eiffel Tower, you know, all around the world. But it seems like, you know, we've been running out of places to, to put this pink ribbon. So since last year, I think they became a little bit more creative. Mm-hmm. And they do like events online. Mm-hmm. And also in they do a fundraiser charity banquet, actually raising money. And we do have like... Uh, you know, people from all over the society to come come around and, you know, participate. And they do donations. Wow. Yeah. That's great. And basically this year, what they, the event that they are trying to move everybody to participate in is a six-hour marathon of exercising together. That's great. On October 6th. Six hours and that's tomorrow. Right. Um, and so you are running or you, you can do any kind of exercise? Any kind of exercise, but you have to do like, you know, six hours and you mm-hmm. can upload and do the support. So you don't have to do an actual marathon, but if you want to do an actual marathon, you could finish that in six you hours. You could be doing like, you know, sit-ups for, for six, six hours. <laughs> Push-ups. No, Ellen Chu, you could do that. Yeah, no. It's, you know, it's, it's a it's lot. Kind of, it's a lot. Six mm-hmm. hours, you know, just think. Yoga for six hours? That is a lot. Right. Well, actually, well, I mean, I think you want to stretch in between. How's that? Okay. So do an hour and then stretch. Do an Possibly. hour and then stretch. Possibly. Go for a walk, a right. long walk. So basically is that, you know, everybody be aware that every 15 seconds, you know, somebody around you might be, you know, diagnosed with breast cancer. And it is something that, you know, I'm aware now because I've been hearing a lot of my friends mm. and family is diagnosed with breast cancer. Mm. It just kind of feel that, you know, the age range is like going down. Mm-hmm. Younger so and younger, younger people are being and diagnosed. younger people are getting diagnosed. So it's either like, you know, family genetics or it's either something in our environment. Mm-hmm. I don't know. But it's important to remember too, though, that even if somebody... And nobody in your family has breast cancer. Right. You still need to go and get a checkup. So it's like, you know, you really, really need to uh, go and do the checkup. Because I did my like like half a year ago. And I just had a reminder pop up that I should be setting up my breast, you know, checkup, my x-rays like in November. So you should do it uh, every year? Every half a every year. Every half a year. Yeah. Okay. Excellent to remember. Right. 
All right, well, we're going to be talking a little bit more about that uh, in our show today, and we have some pink-related food for you as well. Whoa. So shall we check out what's on our menu? Definitely. Let's check it out. In our first, of course, of course, some news about breast cancer awareness in Taiwan. Cases are on the rise, but there's also been a breakthrough this year in breast cancer treatment. Woo! Yes. In our second course, I'm going to head into the Feast Meets West test kitchen to make a pink treat for Ellen Chu. Mm. This year, I'm going to attempt a tangy pink panna cotta with a locally grown fruit. Yummy. And third and final course, hopefully we'll be sampling that pink treat right here in our studio. Yes, hopefully, if all goes well. Okay. But first up today, a song. It's called Feng Fen Hong Se Yue Tuan. Wow, the band, the pink band. Pink band, and it's and. by Mo Su Dai. All right. What is Mo Su Dai? Magic Generation. <laughs> okay. okay. All right. Much more to come in our pink show when the piece continues. First course. Okay, so okay. first course, we are going to talk about some breast cancer news, and these are pretty good news. Okay. We have a bad news and then a good news. Well, yeah, the bad news has always been happening, happening because you know the number of cancer patients in Taiwan continuously grows, like we said, every 15 seconds, right? And that's been happening for a long time already. Well, actually, sorry, the every 15 seconds, I think, is around the world. Right. In Taiwan, 35 women every day are diagnosed with breast cancer. Mm -hmm. So Taipei and New Taipei City having the highest incidence rates in the nation, okay? Mm. So it's probably like in the city. Mm -hmm. People don't exercise that much. I think they were also saying uh, that the higher incidence rates are also because people uh, tend to eat out more and mm -hmm. consume larger quantities of meat and fats. Oh. And that's according to uh, the Formosa Cancer Foundation Chief Executive Lai Ji-ming. Mm-hmm. Um, he Breast said that, cancer is the most common type of cancer affecting women in Taiwan. Mm. Right. And it's now the number of patients is about three times what it was two decades ago. Um, so recent figures, 2016, uh, 12,672 new cases were detected that year. Now, while it's often uh, detected in elderly women, cancer registration data from the past few years shows that about a third of the cases 
are women aged 30 to 39. Wow. Mm. So Lai said increases could be caused by late pregnancies ooh, or mm. exposure to endocrine mm-hmm. disruptors in the environment. Mm. So that's kind of like, you know, the environment pollution. Mm. The higher incidence rates in northern Taiwan might be because people generally eat out more and consume large quantity of meat and fats. Mm-hmm. Well, I eat out, but you know, I don't really eat that much meat. Mm, that's you know, really I, good. I choose things that's not too greasy. Diet is really yeah. important. Exercise is important. Um, they also say breast cancer can be detected and prevented at an early stage. But according to the Health Promotion Administration data here in Taiwan, the screening rate is only about 40% nationwide. Ooh. They say that women who are 45 years old or above are eligible for a free breast cancer screening. So the question is, why are people not motivated to go for a mammogram? Well, because it really, it's really painful. Mm, is you it? Know, I didn't yeah. realize that. Yeah, it's very painful. And the thing is that you should not only do mammogram, mm-hmm. you have to do mammogram plus the sonic, sonic scanners. Okay, right. I see. So there are a couple of misconceptions that we want to just go through. Um, some people believe that performing a regular self-examination is enough, but it's not enough. Mm-mm. They also believe that having a chest x-ray is enough. Believe That's... me, it's different. Mammogram is quite different. Also, some people uh, say that they don't have to worry because they don't have a family history of well, breast cancer. Well, it might not be genetic, right? Yes. However... They say that a self-examination fails to detect, sometimes fails to detect early signs of breast cancer. Chest x-rays are usually for detecting problems in the lungs, ribs, or other organs. And actually, when it comes to family links, only 10 to 20% of all breast cancer cases are thought to be linked to that. So getting a regular mammogram is very important. Right. And Lai also said the foundation wants to remind people that breast cancer can be prevented and that the five-year survival rate, if breast cancer is detected early, is more than 90%. That's right. So again, he said, eat more fruits and vegetables, do exercise, avoid stress. These can all reduce your chances of having breast cancer. Right. And of course, the good news is U.S. researchers hail significant breakthrough as new breast cancer drug found to boost survival rates by 30%. That's right. There's a new form of drug that is uh, known as a cyclin inhibitor, Mm -hmm. which uh, in a recent study uh, was found to increase survival rates to 70%. Mm. So mortality rate was 29% less than when patients were given a placebo. Right. So the treatment is less toxic than the traditional chemotherapy because it is more selectively targeted the cancerous cells, blocking their ability to multiply. All good news there, Ellen Chu. Mm. I also want to mention there's a Taipei International Breast Cancer Symposium coming up in November, the 2nd and 3rd Mm. uh, at the HNBK, the Huanan Bank International Convention Center. So uh, that's nice to see that we have not just um, events for the general public, but also symposiums for experts in the field. Mm. They are you know, putting their heads together to try to fight it and also get the cure. That's right. Mm-hmm. Another song, Ellen Chu. Let's do another pink one. It's the Pink Cadillac. And this is by Indigo Swing. That's right. And uh, when we come back in just a moment, we're going to go into the Feast Meets West Test Kitchen 
to uh, make you something pink, Ellen Chu. Woo. All right, let's do it. Going back, going back. To get myself a pink Cadillac And they look funny but I got plenty of loot I got enough to make an elephant a swag suit No browns, no reds, you heard what I said To me all those dull colors are dead You push your body on a bar in the back That's my description of a pink Cadillac I went out west to make that mess And I came back east to spend my grease Whatever I get must be the best my door keeps rising like it's be cool, you fool, I know the golden rule. I got my money from a chick named Honey. They call me Will, and what do you mean, Will? Did I ever get rid of that big dollar bill? Second course. We are back now on the second course of today's Feast Meets West. Uh, and today we are in the Feast Meets West test kitchen. And I'm going to be making something pink for Ellen Chu. Of course, that's because October is International Breast Cancer Awareness Month. And we like to do it up pink for this month. Because people wear pink ribbons. Uh, just as a reminder that it's important to get yourself checked. All right, today I'm going to make one of my favorite things, something I've never made before, but I love to eat panna cotta. It's so nice and creamy and delicate to the touch, uh, and we're going to make it pink by using some dragon fruit. I'm going to mix just a tiny bit of dragon fruit into the panna cotta itself to give it the nice pink color, and then we're going to toss some macerated um, dragon fruit on top of it just to... Uh, decorated and give it a little bit of extra taste. So I'm going to make these in little ramekins. Um, some people like to make the big panna cotta and then flip it upside down onto a tray, but we're just going to keep ours in the ramekins because that'll save us a lot of heartache if uh, the consistency isn't perfect. So already I have two tablespoons of water and uh, about a teaspoon of gelatin unflavored gelatin uh, in a bowl and they're just kind of I got, I'm letting it soften a little bit letting it bloom uh, while I get everything else ready so I'm starting off by taking about one cup of whole milk plain Greek yogurt and half a cup of uh, whole cream heavy cream and I'm just going to whisk it together in a bowl And now I'm taking another half cup of cream and a quarter cup of granulated sugar and putting that in a little saucepan. And I'm going to heat that up um, just to bring it to a simmer over low heat. You know, stirring it once or twice, making sure that the sugar is dissolved. Should take about three minutes total. So up with the tinkly music. All right, now that the sugar has dissolved in my cream, I'm just removing it from the heat. Um, and I'm adding the gelatin mixture. And I'm just gonna whisk it together to dissolve it into the warm cream. Uh, and now that that's dissolved in there, I'm pouring it into the bowl of Greek yogurt and uh, cream and just whisking it until it's smooth. 
Now at the very end, I'm just gonna add a tablespoon of lemon juice just to give it a nice tart taste. So now that that's good to go, I'm just uh, pouring it evenly into the ramekins. Uh, I'm gonna cover this loosely with some plastic wrap and refrigerate it uh, overnight. And we're gonna try it tomorrow morning and hopefully it will come out okay. And then uh, the other thing I'm just gonna do is I'm gonna chop up my dragon fruit and uh, add just a little bit of sugar and a little squirt of lemon juice to give it a little bit of flavor. And we're gonna let that macerate in a little covered bowl as I uh, take my scooter to work in the morning. And then uh, right before I plate it up, I'm going to just pour a little bit of the fruit over the top of the little bowls. And hopefully this is going to be a beautiful pinkish color. Um, I don't think I mentioned it uh, as I was doing it, but I did put a little bit of dragon fruit juice uh, into the white creamy yogurt mixture to give it a nice pink texture. So there you have it. Uh, that is a Greek yogurt panna cotta. Uh, and I looked at two different recipes and tweaked them both. One was from the kitchen, one was from Smitten Kitchen, uh, two of my favorite places to find recipes. Uh, they didn't do the dragon uh, fruit version, but that's specially for Ellen Chu to give her a little pink taste. All right, so back in a moment when the feast continues. Uh, but first, we're going to bring you another pink song. This is called Pink Dress by Xu Pei, Peggy Xu. pink treat in the studio for Ellen Chu. Am I supposed to just like lick it? You can if you want. Okay. There are no rules about how you're supposed to eat really? this. So what it is, is it's a yogurt panna cotta. Uh -huh. Do you have a spoon? Here. No. <laughs> Here's a spoon for you. She's that's like, why I'm, eat this? <laughs> I'm asking, should I lick it? Oh, that's why. Uh-huh. And so what I've done is I've made a yogurt panna cotta with just a tiny bit of lemon to give it a tang. Mm. And it's pink flavored because it's got the uh, dragon fruit juice in the panna cotta. Mm. And we've topped it off with some macerated little chunks of dragon fruit. So I just used a little bit of sugar and lemon. This is amazing, the texture. Is it good? Mm. I was most worried about the texture, Ellen Chu. I love the texture. Good? Oh my God, this is good. Mm-hmm. This is better than I expected. This is, this is way better. You mean this is the first time you made this? 
Yeah, I've never made a panna cotta. Mm. This is one of my favorite desserts because it has a nice, like, kind of gelatinous texture, mm. but without being too jello-y. This is really good. It has that very smooth, creamy texture to it. Mm. Right? It's got yogurt in it. This is good. I replaced it. So I have to warn you because you can't really do a whole lot of dairy. So mm -hmm. um, there is cream in here. Um, okay. But usually panna cotta is made with all cream and milk. Mm -hmm. I substituted half with yogurt, mm -hmm. Greek yogurt, in order to be easier to eat and to give it tangy taste. So maybe that's why, you know, the texture and the flavor is even better. Mm. Right? Maybe. And it's very pink. Oh, this is so pink. I was afraid it was going to be too lavender, but mm. I think it's okay. Yeah, it's pinkish. Wow, this is really yummy. Would you like some more fruit on top of yours? I already finished everything. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm fine. Nothing left to put on top. Nothing left in there. Mm. Mm. So two weeks in a row I've met with success. I think you should go to Cape Cod more often. <laughs> She's telling me to go away so that go I can, away so that I can come back with decent food. <laughs> he he just needs to go away, relax a little bit, and come back, you know, with some fresh, creative, and you know, passion <laughs> in life. Because before he left for Cape Cod, he was all like bogged, and he was like bombed. Everything was like stress. Right? Oh my goodness, I was so stressed <laughs> out. She she can attest to that. Every right. time, right before I go on vacation, I'm like bonkers. Exactly, but you know, see, after vacation. He's just filled with love. With <laughs> love to share with everybody. Right. And he just feels the love in the kitchen too. Mm. Well, I believe that you have to be in a good mood to create good food. I think so too. If you're angry or you're stressed, uh huh. Or you're you know, just you know, sad. That's how, that's how oh. I feel with my children all the time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> stressed. And, you know, bogged and uh, angry. <laughs> <laughs> Angsty mom. Yeah. It's tough. It's I have tough. full empathy for moms who, you know, have to mm -hmm. cook every night and take care of the kids. There's Tell no way. Tell me about it, you know. It's like stress. I can barely take care of myself, never mind like three other people. Really? And no. you also have to do your own job? Yeah. Yeah, no right? way. There's, there's no way. It's like you're bogged already and you still have to like, you know, take care of their life and remember everything they need to do. <laughs> Especially in this day and age because like you're in a constant line group with like 10 different people about your kids. Oh, you tell me. I have probably like 50. So every <sighs> time, you know, I see this new invitation, I'm just like, why do you need a new line group? <laughs> Can't you just talk about it in that group? And they're like, oh. No, we want it separately, you know, because there's one person in there that doesn't belong in this group. I'm just like, oh. and I have to add another, the 50th group. Oh, my goodness. How do you yeah. keep everything straight? I'm you don't. I don't. It's like a full-time job. Mm -hmm. Seriously, social media You know, the kids. other day I was walking around Ryan's, my kids' school, and then I was helping them trying to organize how the morning traffic flow with some other, you know, uh, parent committee members. Mm-hmm. And the principal saw me. She came to me. I said, hi. And then she's like touching my cheek and saying that you don't need to work today. Uh, I'm just like, uh, what? yes, I don't need to work today. She said, oh, no, I forgot you work here. Oh, no. You're That's like, what she said. You're like, you don't pay me enough. Yeah. 
or Even at all. Even a nun is making fun of me. Oh, Ellen Chu. Yeah. It ain't right. It ain't right. Once it, the nunny bunnies are making fun of you, you've so reached it. So immediately I said, so where is my staff discount? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> For tuition. And what did she say to that? She just smiled. <laughs> She's like, ha, 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 yes. ha, ha. She's like, you could become a nun and be faster. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> We will raise your child for you. Yeah. <laughs> it takes a convent to raise a child. Yeah, maybe I will consider. <laughs> Look into it. Once Look you've had into it. it, man. Okay. Seriously. So that's our pink show. Okay. Uh, thank you so much for tuning in. We hope that you will um, send us letters. We'd love some letters. What are our addresses, Ellen Chu? Oh, I hope everyone still remember we have a mailbox. PO Box 123-199, Taipei, Taiwan. That's right. You can also send us an email, A-N-D-R-O-O, at rti.org.tw. Yes. Ellen Chu is furiously trying to fix her pink headset. Yeah, my pink headset. How can it break on a pink show? That ain't right. Anyway. All right. Finally, next Saturday on the feast, join us for a dessert that contains... Anti-aging properties. Wow, you're really into, like, you know, putting in good food, huh? Good food for you. I brought you a high-class, very expensive... Strange ingredient. Okay. It is amber-colored peach resin, which is like the much-talked-about ingredient, the go-to ingredient for people who are trying to stay youthful. Mm. Not that we need it. Well, it is true because I went to this village. I think it's in Turkey. Mm Mm-hmm. And it's called Changsoutun, uh-huh. the longevity village. And do they eat peach resin? Yes. Oh, you're kidding me. Mm-hmm. You always tell me that they ate like almonds. I didn't realize almonds they ate peach and, resin. Almonds and peach resin. <gasps> so we're going to be sampling this next week. And you know where we're doing it next week, Ellen Chu? What are we doing? Because next week is Elderly Day, Day of oh. the Elderly. That's right. No wonder. Longevity. Uh, longevity. Right? Anti-aging. I got oh. your back. Oh, I got look. your back. The fresh creative mind. That's back from right. Back from Peacock. Okay. <laughs> All, right. All right. So this is Feast Meets West. Mm-hmm. I'm Andrew Ryan. And this is Ellen Chu. One last song, of course. Still pink. Pink power. Pink power. Pink power. All By right. By Tia Ray. See you next week. Bye.
Thank you for listening to Radio Taiwan International, broadcasting from Taipei, Taiwan. Check out our website at english.rti.org.tw. Again, that's english.rti.org.tw for the latest news and features from Taiwan. You can also listen to our programs and watch videos as well. Our 60-minute English language program can also be heard every day at the following times and frequencies. In southern China and South Asia, from 1600 to 1700 UTC, on 9405 kHz. Again, that's in southern China and South Asia, from 1600 to 1700 UTC, on 9405 kHz. And in Southeast Asia, from 0300 to 0400 UTC, on 15320 kHz. Again, that's in Southeast Asia, from 0300 to 0400 UTC, on 15320 kHz. We'd love to hear from you. Please send your comments to P.O. Box 123-199, Taipei, Taiwan. Again, that's P.O. Box 123-199, Taipei, Taiwan. Or send an email to rti at rti.org.tw. Again, that's rti at rti.org.tw. Also visit us on Facebook. The address is fb.me forward slash Radio Taiwan International. Once again, on Facebook, we're located at fb.me forward slash Radio Taiwan International for videos, photos, and news of interest from Taiwan. Thank you once again for listening to Radio Taiwan International.